Well, this morning we are going to continue in our study in Proverbs, and we are moving on. This is actually the last portion uh, of the of the the first segment of Proverbs. In in chapter ten to about chapter twenty four is the Proverbs of Solomon, and it's just a bunch of little sayings that are somewhat grouped together. But today in Proverbs nine, and we're not going to look at the whole chapter, uh, but Proverbs nine ends with a parable of sorts, kind of like. Chapter 8, Chapter eight, we had uh, wisdom speaking to us and calling out and um, telling, you know, naive people, come to me. And remember, she was going throughout the city. She was at the gate. She was in the streets. She was in the marketplace. She was crying out. Well, in, in Chapter 9, you get two women, but they both have homes now. And wisdom is actually at home. Wisdom has created a home, and she is at the doorpost of her home, and she is calling to the naive to come in. Come and receive what I have to offer you, my food, my drink. And so uh, she's calling to whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And, and there's this imagery of pre- preparation that she is prepared for people to come to her home. And then on the end of chapter 9, you have the woman Folly. The woman Folly also has a home, and she is also crying out to the, to the naive, but her statements are backwards from wisdom. Whereas wisdom says, come eat of my food and drink of the wine I have mixed, forsake your folly and live. The woman Folly says, stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Whoever is naive, let him... Turn in here, you know, come to me. And so you have this, this crossroad, as it were, where, where you have wisdom in her house and folly in her house, and they are both crying out to the naive to come in. And the question for us is, what will we do at the crossroads? What will we do? Will we go into wisdom or will we go into folly? Will we accept the ways of folly in her household which leads to death. The dead are there, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol, which reminds us of the uh, wayward woman in earlier chapters. Or will we go to wisdom? And in the middle of these two uh, pictures, these, these, these parables, for lack of a better phrase, in, in verses 7 through 12, some people take these verses as being part of wisdom's invitation. I, I think it's really, though, the crossroad. It, it's the, what decision are you going to make? How are you going to live your life? Are you going to be wise? Are you going to be foolish? Are you going to follow the guidance of wisdom? Or are you going to go the way of folly? And, and that is what Solomon is is getting us to. That is the difference between going to the wisdom's house or going to the woman of folly who is boisterous and naive and knows nothing. And I love the fact that she is naive and knows nothing and she is calling out to the naive. Very similar to when Jesus said, you're like the blind leading the blind. How often people are like that though. The naive follow the naive. And so in the middle, what we're going to see in, in these six verses is the contrast between uh, being wise and following a foolish way and 
obviously the, the, the verse in the middle that we looked at last year that we've quoted this morning, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom is going to play its part. But let's, let's begin in verse 7. And let's, uh, we're just going to go at this a little bit at a time. Uh, after wisdom has called people to her house and has invited them in and is encouraging us to receive what she has prepared, that it is good and it is available, forsake your folly and live, proceed in the way of understanding. We are told in verse 7, which isn't wisdom speaking, but I think really Solomon talking about the Proverbs. He says, he who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. He who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. If, if you go and you correct somebody who has a, a, a scoffer's attitude, you're just going to get dishonor. It's, the, it's similar to what Jesus said when he said, don't throw your pearls before swine or give what is holy to dogs. It's kind of an admonition to know your audience. Who are you speaking to? If, if you try to correct a scoffer, a scoffer being somebody who, uh, in, in English, it's the idea of, of mocking a person or, or scorning what they have to say. The, the word in Hebrew is kind of funny. It can actually be translated as an ambassador or an interpreter. It literally means to make mouths. To flap at the lips. So an ambassador has to speak on behalf of another person. He is you know, speaking. An interpreter does the same thing. So that's why it's used that way. But negatively, it's the idea that somebody that just, just flies off with the mouth. You know the type of person you can't correct them or teach them anything. They've always got something to say. They've always got, a, this is why what I'm doing is right, even though you're the, ex, you're the one coming in saying this is how to do it. They're going to say something. I, I hate to say it, but I'm off in this way. You know, I, not, not in that way, but I would think even, uh, for instance, I, I originally had four points today, and I thought, you know, I, one of the points, I really didn't need to make it a point, so I went down to three. And William said, so it was pointless. Which, you know... I wasn't willing to, I said, no, it had a point, it just wasn't as good of a point. So it was pointless, you didn't need it, it was point, you know. But I just, I couldn't accept the correction he was giving me. The idea of, hey, it was, it wasn't like he was correcting me, but I couldn't accept his humor, his insight, which was on the nose, and I didn't like it at the time that I heard it. After I walked away and, you know, that was pretty clever, I, you know, I wish I'd handled that better. We can always be scoffers, but there are sometimes people who just will not listen. And, and you get dishonor for yourself. And to a certain extent, yeah, William got dishonored to himself because I did not accept him and I did not say, you're right, that was funny. I, I tried to explain why well, he was wrong. You know, so we can be scoffers. And, and a person who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. They're, they're literally gets himself a blot. It's kind of like, he'll just hit you for it. He'll just beat you for it. He won't bless you for it. And then in, in verse 8, it says, do not reprove a scoffer. So first two were, if you do this, you're going to receive that. Now, it's do not reprove a scoffer. Don't rebuke him, or he will hate you. 
But notice what it does say. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. What we're seeing here is a contrast between a scoffer and a wise person and a righteous person. A scoffer and wicked, they go together. Wise person and righteous person, they go together. And the focus here is on how they receive correction. If a, if, if a scoffer receives correction, they are going to respond harshly. They're going to fight back. They're going to argue with you. They're going to say stuff. They're not going to listen at all. But a wise person, they're going to love you for it. They're not going to take it against you. They're going to love you that you, 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 just, you came to them to reprove them, to rebuke them. If, if you instruct a wise person, they're going to take that opportunity and become wiser still. And if you teach a righteous person something, they're going to increase their learning. They're going to grow from that teaching. And the point is, as we think about this crossroad between being following wisdom and following folly, if we want to go to the wise side, the first thing we've got to recognize is that wise people accept correction. Wise people accept correction. And correction, I mean by that, teaching and instruction as well. It's one thing, though, to accept just teaching or information. It's another thing to accept correction, to accept a rebuke. When somebody comes to you and says, what you did was wrong, or what you said was wrong, or what you said was foolish, oh, I mean, that hurts. That's not good. Nobody likes that. It feels negative to be rebuked, to be corrected, even sometimes to be instructed. You, you, you know, oh, I want to know this already. I don't want to... You have to read an instruction manual for this. It can feel negative. But wise people get beyond that negativity and they receive it. They accept it. They accept the correction. They recognize that they, that they can benefit from this. And, and, and notice in these three verses, there was never mention that the teaching was good. There was never mention that the rebuke, the reproving, was earned. Have you ever had somebody come up and rebuke you for something and they were wrong? Have you ever had somebody come and tell you, you did that wrong and you're like, no, I, I did that right. I know I did that right. Wisdom doesn't just mean we receive good stuff. It doesn't just mean that we accept correction when it's proper correction. Wise people will receive correction even if it's wrong. Now, that doesn't mean that we say, oh, well, I, I knew this was the right way to do that, but now that you're telling me to do it this other way, I'll start doing things that way and everything I make will be broken. That's not the idea. No, when we talk about accepting correction, what we mean is do we, do we hear them? Do we listen to them? Do we consider what they're saying and give them a hearing? So that's the thing about a scoffer. A scoffer uh, he who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. The scoffer doesn't listen. You know the whole saying, we've got one mouth and two ears so that we would spend more time hearing than speaking? The scoffer doesn't use their ears. The scoffer hears what you say, assumes what you mean, assumes they already know what you're going to say because they have experience already sometimes. 
And they're too busy thinking about what they're going to say next. A scoffer is a person who immediately starts talking without ever spending any time thinking, is this possibly true? Especially if somebody comes and corrects you and says you did something that was wrong. And you're, you're adamant and you know I was right. A scoffer is the one that immediately starts talking. A wise person accepts the rebuke. Accepts the correction. That doesn't mean that they agree with it. What it means is they allow it to come in and they consider it. And they wrestle with it. And they decide, is this true? Maybe it's a partial truth. Maybe it's not 100% truth. I've had people come to me and tell me, oh, that sermon that you preached was the worst sermon I ever heard in my life. I doubt that, but I'll give you credit for it. It wasn't the greatest sermon I've ever preached either. And maybe a person has had issues with it. And you know, their understanding of the Scripture, no, I, I wasn't wrong on that. But the way I presented it, the way I communicated, some of the arguments I made, those weren't right, those weren't good. You're right about that. Yeah, it's not easy to do, and it usually takes a few days to accept it. The correction doesn't have to be 100% perfect. The focus here is not on the teaching. Teach a righteous man, he will increase his learning. Hey, you know what? A righteous person can learn from the wicked. A, a, a wise person can learn from their enemy. A a, a righteous person, if you teach them and you teach them nothing but the wrong way to do something, they will learn from that. They're going to learn, I don't think I want to do that. But they will learn. The scoffer never gives it a chance. The scoffer is already full of their own ideas and their own knowledge and their own ignorance, their own naivety, and they just, boom, go right through and not even listen. That's the problem with the scoffer. The the person who would try to correct them just gets dishonored because the scoffer is not going to listen. A person who tries to reprove a wicked man is just going to get insults, just going to get a blot against them because the wicked person is not open to hearing. But the righteous person is. He'll increase his learning. You reprove a wise man, he'll love you for it. He he might not feel good about it. It might hurt him. Or she, as the case may be, if it's a righteous woman or a wise woman. But if you reprove a wise person, they're going to love you for it. They're, they're going to love you at least for the fact that you were willing to do it and that you came and spoke to them. And, and again, I, I have personal experience of that where people came, they had some harsh things to say, and I didn't hate them for it. I wasn't angry about it. But, you know, I appreciate that they came and spoke to me. I did not like to hear what I heard. I got, honestly, people in this room that have done that to me. Took me down a few pegs. Didn't like it. Didn't enjoy it. But I'm thankful that they did it. I may not have even done it in their case. I might have just let it go. But they they took the time to say, you did this and that really hurt. And I love them for it today. And that's wisdom. Scoffer doesn't. Scoffer, oh, you just don't know what you're talking about. Scoffer just starts moving the lips. And this is what we really struggle with. We've seen this uh, this past week in the Southern Baptist Convention. There's there's a lot of scoffing going on. There's this issue of 
What can women do in the church? Has God gifted women and allowed women to exercise those gifts? And there's, there's a lot of people that don't even want to consider that maybe, possibly, there is a, another way to interpret certain Scripture passages or that we should consider what Jesus has said and His attitude and His behavior to people and let that inform how we interpret these passages. No, it's clear, it's done. If you don't agree with us, you should just go join some other church. You just need to go somewhere else. And that's been the attitude of the Southern Baptist Convention for about 40 years now. Just go somewhere else. Just go somewhere else. We just don't want you if you don't agree with us. That, that's a scoffer's attitude. That is not the attitude that says, let me wrestle with this. When I went to seminary, uh, I, I came from Texas to Colorado and far as I knew, in all the churches I'd been in, women couldn't be pastors. That's just all there was to it. The Bible says it very clearly as far as I was concerned. And so I was curious. I, I was in the MDiv program, the, the Masters of Divinity program, which I understood to be the path to pastoring ministry. There was a Masters of Arts. You could do other things if you were in Master of Arts. But MDiv, that meant you wanted to become a pastor. And so I was curious there were women in this department. <laughs> what are you... I was the idiot that said, literally, to a person's face, what are you doing here? Why are you in this? This is for pastoral people. This is for people who want to become pastors. Why are you here? And one person very graciously said, I feel God's calling to be a pastor. And that stumped me because I was like, but you're a woman. Boy, I'm surprised I didn't get slapped. But I didn't. She was gracious. She was wise, I guess. And she was able to take my thoughts. But in talking to her and others like her and in struggling with some of my professors, and trust me, when I left seminary, I was still the same mind that I got there. But they had started the wheels of questioning of struggling, of saying, okay, this is what I have understood, but here is a person that is filled with the Holy Spirit and has an, a, a similar confession of a call as I do. If I want to discredit hers, what does that do about my call? Maybe that's a bit of a selfish viewpoint, but it's what I had to go on. And, but at least I was willing to consider, to wrestle, not just, oh, well, you... <laughs> You silly woman, you don't know anything. Get back in the kitchen. No, no, I, I was willing to at least wrestle with, does she have a point? Does she have a right? Does she, does she, is there an interpretation here? We're not doing that in the Southern Baptist Convention. We are scoffing instead. And it's sad to see. I don't mind the wrestling. That's why I have pastor friends who believe that you have to be baptized to be saved. I disagree, but I can wrestle with them. I know people who believe that you can baptize your children, even as infants. I disagree, but I can still be friends with them. Are we open to the possibility that we might not have everything and not have all knowledge? A scoffer thinks, I've already got all knowledge. A wise person recognizes, I don't. Maybe I'm wrong on some things. I need to be willing to accept this correction. And, and I think that comes from this middle verse, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I, I take that to, to consider that a person cannot be wise unless they know and, and fear the Lord. I would allow that the possibility that at least a person could have wisdom, that there are worldly people who, who can be wise about things, even if they don't believe in Jesus Christ, even if they're not following Him. I think that the key, though, in the, this idea of the fear of the Lord is a recognition that we are not Him, that we are not the greatest that ever has been, that there is one greater than us who has created all things, and He has all knowledge, and I do not. The fear of the Lord. I think that even people who do not necessarily follow Jesus Christ or believe in God as we know Him, if they have a, 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 an innate fear of the Lord, and, and as Paul said, He has made it clear to us in our hearts, we have known all our lives of God. The foolish people just try to ignore that. The wise ones, even if they don't accept Jesus Christ or even if they don't understand God in the way that we do, they, they have a certain level of fear of the Lord, of awe, of recognition of who He is or, or, or that there is somebody out there and it's not them. And, and what that does, the fear of the Lord, why it's the beginning of wisdom is because the fear of the Lord humbles us. When we recognize that God is there, and we are not Him, and we fear Him, now my life isn't about being right. My life is about being aligned to Him. My life is about knowing Him better and knowing His instructions better. And that's why knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The more I know Him, the more I understand how He has created the world, the more I will understand things. And what... What verse 10 is pointing to us is that humility is essential for wisdom. This is the difference between the scoffer and the wise person. The scoffer doesn't want to listen, just starts moving their mouth. That's not an attitude or a posture of humility. The we're right, you're wrong argument is not the posture of humility. And, and that shouldn't just in, in, inform how we interact with one another as believers or how we interact with other people, but this, this should inform how we share our faith. I'm right, you're wrong isn't going to win a whole lot of people. Jesus never went, I'm right, you're wrong. He proclaimed Himself, and when people had questions, He showed them the truth. He explained it to them through stories, sometimes stories that were hard to understand. Sometimes he said it very clearly. But he worked with them. There is a sense of humility in Jesus that he says, I, I, I only do what I see the Father doing. He was even willing to have people tell him what they wanted. You know, what do you want? I want to see. He was willing to let a, a, a woman, a Seraphonician woman, correct him in a sense when he said, I'm here for the children of Israel. And she said, but Lord, even the dogs of the table eat the scraps that the children fall, a drop. And he was willing to heal her. He was excited and happy about her answer to him. That takes, to a certain extent, humility. Have you ever thought about God, all-powerful, almighty, all-gracious, being humble? But God is humble. Because humility isn't being low. 
Humility isn't putting yourself down. Humility is recognizing who you are. For, for God, humility is grandeur. It's greatness. It's glory. That is God being humble because it is who He is. For us, humility doesn't mean we put ourselves down. Humility means we recognize who we are. We recognize our limitations. It, it's, not, uh, it's not pride for a person who is good at their work to be able to say, I am good at my work. That, that can even be humility. Now, putting other people down about it, showboating about it, that's not humility. But to be able to acknowledge that you know how to do something, that can be a sense of humility. And, and, and humility comes from the fear of the Lord. Recognizing that God is there, that He is powerful, and that we are not Him, and that we need to orient our lives based on Him, causes us to be humble, to recognize. And through Scripture, as we study, we see how often did God do things through unlikely people. And so we should have the humility to recognize maybe an unlikely person can correct me. Maybe an unlikely person can tell me something. Maybe an unlikely person has actual knowledge beyond what I have. So often we see things where people are like, well, you know, experts. We want to listen to the experts, right? And, and if a person isn't an expert in a certain field, if they don't have a degree and they don't have books out there, we don't want to listen to them, even though this person might know something. And, and you go back through history and, you know, it wasn't a scientist who created a clock that could go on the seas to keep time. It was a clockmaker who figured out and solved latitudinal problems it wasn't it wasn't navigators it wasn't scientists it wasn't mathematicians it was a clockmaker and so many people were unwilling to listen because he was so humble in his station something similar has happened there's a there's a stuff that is used to help blood clot on combat fields and i guess maybe uh, emts use it now it's it's like clock quick i forget what it's called but the guy who devel- developed it wasn't a scientist. He wasn't a medical doctor. He just happened to notice that he was using this stuff and what it could do, and he wondered would this do, and he went and got an, like a, a mouse from the, the pet store, and probably, you know, I don't know how he did it, but he made the mouse bleed, and then he made this stuff work, and he proved it, and he sent it in, and the scientist rejected it because he didn't have the right degrees. Wisdom says even somebody who, who, who I don't expect can have knowledge. Wisdom says to have a little humility, to listen. Maybe I don't have everything figured out. That comes from the fear of the Lord. The answer from wisdom in verse 11, For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise... You are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. If, if we accept, if we choose wisdom, wisdom says, by me your days will be multiplied. You will have a longer life if you listen to me. You will have a good life. This is language of blessing. You know, the, the, the days of the wicked will be cut short, but the days of the righteous will be lengthened. It's not necessarily a literal uh, you will have a long life. But it's the idea of wisdom brings blessing. Wisdom brings blessing. And of course, the, the 
contrast to that is that if you don't accept wisdom, you're not going to get that blessing. Your days will not be multiplied. Years of life will not be added to you. You will lose. And so, in verse 12, if you're wise, you're wise for yourself. Nobody else, nobody, I mean, it's a benefit to yourself if you're wise. You're wise for yourself. If, if you choose to be wise, you will reap those benefits. If, if, if you choose to be wise and another person doesn't, uh, they're not going to receive the benefit necessarily. In fact, uh, what we saw in verses 7 through 9 is that you can't cause somebody to become wise. You can't make another person be wise. You can try to instruct them, but if they're a scoffer, if they're a scoffer in their heart, they're just going to respond with their mouth. They're just going to just fly off at the lips. They're going to respond with dishonor for you and with insults. They might even hate you for it. You can't force wisdom on a person. You can't make them be wise. We have to choose. Are we going to be wise? Are, are we going to be humble? Are we going to listen and accept the correction that we get? That, that's a choice we have to make. Just like a choice to believe in Jesus Christ and to follow Him. And if you scoff, if you're just going to live your life running off at the mouth whenever anybody tries to instruct you and teach you something new, maybe has a different viewpoint than you, they, they, you don't have to agree with it. But there's a difference between listening and hearing a person and just flat out telling them they're wrong and this is why and you don't even need to listen to what they have to say. Yeah. If you do that, if you scoff, you alone will bear it. We're going to live with the results, in essence, of our choice here. If we choose to be wise, we'll, we'll receive the benefit. If we choose to scoff, well, we'll receive that outcome. You will bear the result of your choice. Do you choose to be wise? Or do you choose to be foolish and scoff at things? Do you choose to listen and be open to the possibility that you're wrong? Or have you already got everything figured out and nobody can tell you anything? Whichever choice we make, we will bear the result. That's what, that's what verse 12 is telling us. And then Proverbs moves into 12, 13 through 18, and the woman of folly and death and destruction. That's what you will bear if you go the way of scoffing. He does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. very similar to Jesus. If, if you're willing to accept Jesus and believe in Him, you will receive eternal life. But if your choice is to walk away and to ignore Him, you will receive eternal damnation. We will bear the result of our choice. The question is, what will we choose? Do we choose the wickedness and the scoffing? Or will we Choose to be righteous and accept correction. Will we choose to fear the Lord in how we live our lives? That's the question put before us at this crossroad. Will we go to wisdom or will we go to folly? How have you lived your life? How are you living your life? How will you live your life? Those are questions 
Only each one can answer for themselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we pray, Lord, that we would seek wisdom. We pray that You would humble us, that we would be able to have a humble heart to recognize that we don't know everything even when we do think we know everything. We know that true wisdom comes from You. And to know You, to, under, to know you is to understand. To grow in our knowledge of You is to grow in our understanding of the world and the people around us. Father, we recognize we all have opportunities to be like the scoffer. We, we don't listen. We don't receive. We, we start talking before we should. We pray, Lord, that You would help us to be patient, to be humble, to recognize that this person who is saying something to us that we might disagree with or we might not like to hear, or they are made in Your image. And they may be your, your blessing to us. We pray, Lord, that You would help us to, to wrestle, to be open to, to the fact that we're wrong, to listen to correction, to receive a rebuke, and to use it to grow in You. We pray, Lord, that we would choose to be wise, that You would humble us and Lord, that we would not go the way of folly. That we would not be scoffing. That we would live in the fear of You. In the honor of You, Lord. And act accordingly. We pray and ask these things today in Jesus' name, Lord.